Good morning. Praise God for his word. Would you open it, please, to 2 Timothy and chapter 2, where uh, the assembly is continuing in your uh, fairly detailed discussion and series on this wonderful book that Paul left, not only for Timothy, but for all of us. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And they said my clicker was here. Very good. The theme that you are following for the whole epistle is this uh, endurance in troubled times. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Paul had them. John the Apostle had them. Uh, and Martin Luther had them. And uh, Hillview Bible Chapel has them as well. But that's just part of life when you're in the spiritual warfare of uh, this uh, life we've been called to. 2 Timothy 2, 23 to 26, as we come to the end of the chapter, come to the halfway point of the book, uh, the title of the elders gave me was Foolish Disputes. Now I know most of you can probably go to sleep because this doesn't, uh, 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 it's not your problem, but just in case it is, it's not part of the servant strategies, and so we'll see how uh, disputes are to be dealt with or not to be dealt with, and let's open God's word and read our passage this morning. 2 Timothy 2, 23, now flee from youthful, or that's 22, sorry, that's a good verse too, but that was Sam's verse. 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him. Sharon and I are very grateful to be here again this year. We came a few weeks early uh, so we could get in on the Workers and Elders Conference up at Fairhaven during the week, which was a wonderful time with 150 uh, saints from around the country uh, as part of our uh, uh, assembly movement. And seeing that God's still alive and there's a, a growing passion within us to see the churches grow and multiply and uh, see the saints uh, equipped and doing, doing the work and continuing our uh, main uh, goal as uh, assembly or brethren uh, people in one sense, and that is sending people overseas. We are still a large, in relation to the number of people we are in uh, the Western countries, we have a fairly large impact overseas sending our, our, our good people out. Um, I'm not including myself in that, but thank you for sending, <laughs> sending Sharon and out uh, uh, 38 years ago. It's uh, been a, a delight to uh, be in the Lord's service, both in South America and now through Emmaus uh, around the world. Praise God, the pandemic's passed in most senses, and uh, at least borders are open and we can travel again. We've already been on five uh, international trips this year and look forward to going to the Middle East uh, a week from tomorrow. Uh, so you might pray for us as we go uh, into that uh, uh, area of the world. In fact, this message has been a great one in preparation for that because where we're going is to deal with the Arabic-speaking countries. Uh, we'll congregate with a number of our key leaders in Jordan, uh, including Ibrahim and Lena, who have been here, of course. And uh, the Arabs uh, are a very different culture, and sometimes even when they're just conversing happily, it sounds like they're fighting. 
uh, to the Western ear. And uh, so uh, I need to figure out what are foolish disputes and what just them, them talking in, uh, and then when they break off into uh, Arabic so that I won't understand, uh, then um, yes. Anyway, uh, praise God that we as believers can learn how to be different than the world and not get into uh, foolish disputes. So uh, I might ask you some questions as we um, begin here today. Um, what do you bicker about most often? No hands. And spouses, you can't answer. What do you almost enjoy arguing about? Or what do you, uh, who do you argue with most often? Uh, what is worth arguing about? Do you argue fairly? Do your arguments achieve positive results? Because sometimes we're forced to argue or discuss. And uh, so sometimes it's not the what, but it's the how in this. Uh, I, one of my most deep uh, hurts in society here in the USA is watching over the last 10 years th this whole uh, melee of dissension in our culture. Uh, it, it, we seem to argue and take stances on so many positions and sides, and we call them convictions, and, and we seem to be arguing about everything. It stems from our extremist positions on political, ethical, and religious positions. Then comes the pandemic, the logistical decisions by politicians concerning uh, how to control the pandemic exacerbated all this divisiveness. People took extreme stances for and against the measures that were offered or sometimes imposed on us uh, as our society. It it, th this seemed to expose the reality that this great divisionism is not just liberalism versus con uh, conservatism uh, because conservatives were at log uh, loggerheads with each other. It's divisionism at all levels, creating factions and parties on everything down to masks. Uh, my convictions, my rights, uh, what I think everybody else should do according to what I uh, have a conviction about. And that divisionism was just as ferocious in the evangelical church, unfortunately, as in uh, the world. And, uh, of course, our press and our academia doesn't help at all. Results, distrust, isolation, stronger convictions, my rumps, uh, rights trump all, the cancer cult, the cancel culture is being uh, exacerbated and uh, or uh, elevated. And so the theme of this book at this time is good for us, endurance for troubled times. Our, there are disputes. We, we, we can't say there aren't disputes. They're there. It's, it, what are we going to do about them? Uh, are they going to be foolish disputes, or are we going to realize that the foolish aspect of uh, uh, conversation that gets heated is not part of the strategy of the servants uh, for the servant? Okay? As, as servant followers of Christ, and this is the, what comes before us here in verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, and we'll unpack that in a minute, but as the Lord's servants, as his slaves, as his bondservants, uh, um, and the teachings of his word, we take very seriously the biblical, moral, and doctrinal teachings of Scripture. Okay? Uh, by saying we shouldn't 
discuss heatedly anything doesn't mean we must not uh, hold strong to the teachings of Scripture. Okay? Uh, these deep convictions are good and are necessary and are God's truth for all generations. However, the problem of how we hold and express these absolute truths in the public sector and even in our local congregation and even in our intimate families uh, has various ramifications, doesn't it? This is nothing new. Christ dealt with it during his earthly ministry. The, the apostles were under uh, outside attack and at times they were kind of uh, had inside quabbles and squabbles uh, going on as well. And so Christ and his teachings answer a lot of these issues. Isn't it? Uh, we don't have time in 35 minutes to go back to uh, all that we would like to, but all of Scripture is intertwined. And so if you want to see the answers to how, uh, on a day-by-day -day aspect, to live out these epistle truths, we need to go back to the gospel truths and follow Christ. And uh, we'll try to bring uh, those in bit by bit, but you know, we could go right through the four Gospels and find out example after example of how really to uh, uh, understand this. But I'd just like to throw up here, and because of all your stage lights here, it makes it very difficult for us to see the back wall. Um, next year, you're going to have a bigger screen for old people like me. Um, or maybe you would say, put less on your, on your slide. But unfortunately, here's some realities in the modern world today, okay? Uh, here's a truth. I'll, I'll just back away here, and then I can actually see it. Okay. Uh, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. This is the general U.S. adult finding. Okay, this comes out of uh, a fairly large survey done just in the last few months. Okay, this is uh, everybody in the U.S. 51 agree and 31 disagree. Okay? The unfortunate aspect of this is, look at this uh, statistic. The same question or the same uh, situation, and the evangelical difference is not much. That's scary. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God... Look at the difference here. The general population, uh, they're about 50-50 on it. Uh, fortunately, uh, the, uh, the evangelical population is totally against it. Oh, no, look at that. Wow, uh, that, that gets a little bit more difficult. Okay, and so here we have, oh, here we have the, um, that's the same slide, uh, the evangelical population saying not much different. We're born innocent. Hmm? Uh, the general population uh, basically says, yeah, well, of course we're born innocent, up to 75% of them. Uh, the evangelical population is well over 50% saying, yeah, we're born, in, we're born innocent and then fall into sin. Hmm? Uh, everyone sins a little, but most people are you know, basically good by nature. Look at the average, the, the difference. The filtered respondents mean the evangelicals. In general... The difference between the general population and the evangelical population in the, uh, this survey is very small, and that is very disheartening. Ah, here's one we at least can start working on. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Uh, fortunately, the evangelicals are down, but they're still in the, we're still in the 25% range there. That's uh, in 2022. That's not good. It should be zero, shouldn't it? 
Uh, well, okay, Oof, at least we're getting one that's a little better here. In sex, uh, sexual ethics, sex outside of traditional marriage is sin. And uh, fortunately, evangelicals are still holding to pretty close uh, to, to 100% on that one. We give thanks to God for that. Uh, we're thankful for this one, too, that abortion is sin. And once again, we're up in the 90 95% uh, uh, range there. But the world, look at that, they're over 50% saying it is. Isn't that interesting? That's not what you would think we hear in the press and uh, in politics today. Uh, I'm on the board of our Crisis Pregnant Center in Dubuque, and uh, yeah, we come under attack, uh, and we think that's the majority-held view, but it's not, uh, fortunately, in the world and still not in the evangelical church. But now look at this issue, and we come down to sexual ethics as far as homosexual behavior, uh, the world is still 50% um, agreeing that you know that sh the Bible is against it, and that's the way that, that is truth. Uh, the evangelical population is uh, at 25%. So there's only half more of us than the world per capita uh, condemning uh, or holding to biblical truth on this one. And then uh, the more modern gender identity issues. Okay, once again, here we go. This is the evangelical finding. Not, uh, we're, not, we're not even putting up the world's view on this. But it, uh, fortunately, in 2020, people stayed at home and thought about it and has got some sense in their head. But it's back up. Uh, it's growing again. Okay? And so these, these are, here it is in, in contrast with the world. Um, uh, they, uh, they're in favor of it. Worshiping alone, uh oh, this is getting a little too close to home, or with one's family as a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Uh, the vast majority of the world uh, think, yeah, we can just turn on our religious service at home, uh, but well over 50% of the, the evangelical world says that that's okay. It, it works that way, uh, and uh, it, uh, it's not the best way probably to go. They said I can blank this for a minute. Okay, because this is probably all turned off on me now. So here we go. As we get into 2 Timothy, what are we going to do with those kind of issues? You know, we, can, well, we can get on our soapbox, and we can divide churches, and we can divide families over where we're going to stand on these issues, not so much based on our conviction, but the way we express our conviction. Okay? I'm going to hold 100% to biblical truth. I'm not going to fudge on these uh, ethical issues. I'm not going to move on the doctrinal absolutes. But I can either win people for Christ that don't agree with me, or I can be lovingly uh, working with my family members that may not be believers yet and don't agree with me, or I can ostracize them. Okay? And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here as he's about to leave him. Timothy, you need to learn with how to work with the general population. And his epistle, uh, which is one of three pastoral manuals that he uh, gives Timothy and Titus and the rest of us that are now in church leadership. Chapter 1, Timothy, hold on to the truth. Chapter 2, be strong. And this is how you do it as a workman. Chapter 3, uh, difficult times are coming. Uh, and uh, it has, chapter 3 is a pretty tough chapter, uh, so get your seatbelts on for the next couple of weeks. And then in chapter 4, take these truths and preach them. Okay, And we learn how to do that preaching here in chapter 2. So in chapter 2, uh, Paul gives Timothy seven analogies or word pictures of what the spiritual Christ follower looks like. The one who can, when we get to the end of the chapter, learn to argue nicely, learn to hold their position strongly, but not 
divide, okay? So the apostle starts with, you've got to be a spiritual son to start with. Without that, you aren't going to be a church leader. Then you need to be a single-minded soldier. You know what you are called to do. You're going to be the rule-keeping athlete. We do have a manual. We do have a rule book. We live by it. That's not legalism. That's knowing what God wants and saying, yes, coach. Number four, then we have the long-suffering diligence of the farmer who just sticks it out. Uh, the Christian life isn't all glory. Uh, it's sometimes just hard work. It's annual routine. It's sowing and reaping. And then in the middle there, we have the perfect example of Jesus Christ, and then he picks it up again with uh, this section that we've now on our third week, starting in, chapter, in verse 14, uh, the transparent goodness of a worker. And that worker is also to be a clean vessel, and then lastly that we're considering today is the bond servant. Seven characteristics, they all need to work, work together, and uh, they build on one another, they're consecutive as the inspiration gives it to us here. So uh, we need to back up to, for context to understand this clean vessel. How do you clean yourself? Verse 22, well, it's proactive. You uh, go on the offensive. You agree with uh, what Scripture says, and you flee from youthful lust. It's proactive. You uh, pursue, and it gives us what we should flee from and go after. And then in verse 24, uh, at the end of verse 23, uh, or no, moving from 22, moving into 23, uh, this verse can be linked, even though it's my first verse, it can be linked back to the section before it as the second way to clean your vessel, okay? It can be linked to it in the sense that it's, uh, it's reactive. Don't get entangled with use, uh, uh, useless arguments. Just back off at times, okay? You, you remember that uh, Sam told you that the, there are not two kinds of vessels prepared for the Lord, and you're either just one of the old earthenware jars, and you're just, you know, that's what the Lord made you to be, is just, you know, uh, to, to, to clean out the bathroom and be that bucket. And the others, oh, the, and some of you are crystal over here to, uh, to hold the, uh, the finest of uh, uh, sparkling waters uh, for uh, celebration use. No, the dirty bucket can become the clean uh, goblet, okay? And this is how. It's proactive and it's reactive. Well, uh, many commentators say, no, verse 23 really belongs to the next section, and it probably does. And so we're going to look at number seven of the seven characteristics or analogies or word pictures of who the faithful, proactive, God-seeking uh, uh, servant of Christ what he looks like, and he's called here in verse 23, a servant. Okay, having explained the futility of trying to correct or teach through debate, Paul now offers a different approach in just a few phrases. He describes the ideal Christian leader and his action and activity in this area of divisionism. USA 2022, and November is coming. Okay, how are we dealing with that one? Verse 24, he introduces us to the Lord's bondservant. And he says the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Okay, who is the Lord's bondservant? 
Well, we learn here that the Lord's bondservant is the same word for slave. Um, it's the same word for somebody who's uh, a, a, a full-time servant in the house of another person. Now, this can be uh, translated both the slave and the negative sense as well as the voluntary uh, uh, one who gives himself to his master, like the, the ear being uh, um, nailed to the doorpost in the Old Testament. Of course, Christ gives us the chief example of this, doesn't he? When he says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all, servant of all. Same word. You, you want to be great in God's kingdom? Then be servant of all. Christ's teaching. And so here we come uh, into the final stage of the famous chapter 2, verse 2, passing on, developing the next generations of good, faithful Christ followers, and the last one is be a slave. Be sold out to Christ. Give your life over to him. And so we see here that leaders, those that are Christ followers, leaders at every level, and in the prayer time this morning, it was so much fun to pray for those that are leading Crosswalk, and those that are leading the Sedgwick ministry, and those that are leading uh, Sunday school, and, and so forth. You're, you can all be leaders. We should all be leaders. Uh, moms, you're leaders over your kids, and uh, on it goes. So leaders don't fight. Okay? They influence. Take note of how the spiritual leader influences those in, who are uh, opposing the truth in your life. Sometimes that means, Dad, you need to turn off the TV program. Whoops, that's inappropriate. Okay? And off it goes. <gasps> what a scandal in the, in the family. Uh, and, uh, but that's standing up for truth. How you do it makes the difference about whether your kids are going to holler and scream and have a temper tantrum or you're going to teach them truth through that leadership opportunity in the discipleship process. Leaders don't fight, they serve. Paul presents the seventh allegory as a servant. He didn't put the soldier last and, okay, take up your sword and cut off everybody's head that isn't in agreement with uh, everything you read in Scripture. Uh, they tried that back in the uh, Crusades. It didn't make Christianity very popular. Okay? In Old Testament times, one might enter slavery voluntarily or, uh, or uh, uh, because he has to pay off a debt or sometimes just because he gets sold into slavery because of economic pro um, difficulties. In the New Testament time, a doulos is often best described as a bond servant. That is someone who in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, okay? And when that contract expired, the person was freed, given his wages that he had, uh, uh, had been saved by the master, and he was officially declared a freedman. So we have both views in Scripture, don't we? We have freedom in Christ, Galatians 5, and here we have the bondservant, and so this is the person who says, yes, I'm free in Christ. I'm free to be his slave. Hmm? The reality is that we're all slaves. And every moment we make a choice to either be a slave to sin and the flesh or to be a slave to the Lord and our sovereign one. There's really no time in which we aren't a slave. You're never an independent and we Americans think we're all fifth wheels and can do our own thing and spin off and, 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 uh, and be free. Mm, we're not free. So we may as well choose the right one to be associated with. 
and be a bond servant. It's liberating. Okay? Christ himself said, uh, or is said of Christ in Philippians 2, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a, same word, bond servant, being made in the likeness of man. For what purpose? To redeem us, to pay the price for our salvation, and we praise God for that. As a result, one day, three verses down, he's going to be worshipped, and every knee will bow and call him Lord. And so in the church age, that's us. In the church of Jesus Christ, we are slaves of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23. He who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. Slaves, or the doulos, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So why, why so much emphasis here on the doulos? Verse 23. Why have we spent so, so much time in verse 20? Let's get to the meat of uh, verses 24 and, uh, and following, where it gives us all the how-tos. And the reason is because if we get the concept of the doulos right, then the rest won't be so difficult to swallow. Okay? If you see yourself as a slave of Christ, as a servant of Christ, bound to Christ, sold out to Christ, he's your master, even though there may be some chief at Apple or at HP who uh, seems to be calling the shots, the Lord's calling the shots. And as you submit to him in all his benevolent, kind, gentle leadership, then it's not so hard to face the problems of this world. So that's the reason we want to become uh, strong and understand what this aspect of the doulos is all about. Okay, so now we move on to uh, see that in uh, chapter uh, in chapter two here that we are called to refuse these uh, aspects of foolish, ignorant speculations. Okay, we'll come back to this this slide in a second here. Verse twenty three: Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce. Quarrels, refuses the imperative. It's not a suggestion. Foolish comes from the Greek word moros, and you don't have to be an etymologist to know what English word we get from that. Ignorant, well, that's just what lots of people call me, so I understand it quite, quite well. It comes from the, uh, the synonym of uninstructed. Okay? Haven't you noticed that uh, it's the least informed people who have the strongest opinions? A true teacher is a person knowledgeable on that subject who calmly states the facts or the reasoning and it becomes obvious, understandable, and non-speculative and is reasonable. Okay, that's where we want to be as believers. Knowing the dogma of Scripture and being able to express it without foolish and ignorant speculations. Speculations, controversies, uh, uh, the Mounts in his Bible dictionary says that means to 
contend about words. Speculations to contend about words. By implication, to dispute about trivial things. Uh, Swindoll summarizes it this way. A person cleanses himself or herself by rejecting or literally begging off what Paul calls moronic and uninformed speculations. And he uh, quotes 1 Timothy 6.4 and Titus 3.9 that we'll see in a minute. This includes pointless debate with other believers as well as with the outside, those outside the body of Christ. So what are classified as speculations or controversies? Now, the Amplified Bible gives us a little commentary. But we have nothing, verse 23, we have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations, useless disputes over unedifying, stupid controversies, since you know that they produce strife and give birth to quarrels. And it's interesting, as we see here, that this theme is constant throughout these three pastoral manuals, 1st, 2nd, Timothy, and Titus. 1st Timothy um, 1, 3, 3 and 4, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct men not to teach strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. At the end of the book, chapter 6, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why we go back to the Gospels, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in, here's our word, controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abuse of language, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and depraved of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. You say that would never happen in a church congregation. I've seen it. I was in Switzerland a few years ago, and one man shared in the Lord's Supper, and apparently, it was all in German, so it was German to me, uh, but apparently another brother didn't like what he said, and he stood up and he countered him, and then we had a nice debate. I don't remember whether we had the audacity to break bread at the end of that or not, but uh, it wouldn't have been very appropriate. Hmm? Then, in, uh, then you move into and the second epistle, and in chapter two at the beginning, uh, um, Dan Cozen stole my thunder because the, this whole issue starts back at the beginning of the paragraph in verse fourteen. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin. Of hearers. In fact, if you want to, while you're, I, I'm talking, write down those words you love to discuss. You know, uh, and uh, the, the issues and uh, the, the names we give different uh, people, and so we, we we get pretty heated over it. Uh, then you have the, our verse that we're dealing with here, and then you move on to uh, Titus, and once again the subject comes up. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, and on goes the verse. And so why not? Why don't we want to get in that kind of situation? Because they create quarrels. No? I had a brother. He was two years older than me. He was a pain in the neck. And um, I was his kicking bag uh, or his punching bag and to the point uh, where my parents dug out uh, uh, our semi-basement and made a bedroom under the house so he would get away from me. And I am alive to this day uh, because of their grace in getting me away from my quarreling brother. Um, 
Well, that's just kids. Kids have that. Uh, hopefully, we grow up to love one another. But we do tend to quarrel. Some of us have a tendency, we kind of, kind of enjoy it. Uh, Swindoll remembers his uh, days in seminary. I, I have engaged in more than one rousing seminary uh, squabble and enjoyed the mental sparring a great deal, he admits. But it's a lousy teaching tool. I don't remember changing my position on a significant point of doctrine, nor do I recall influencing someone else to shift his position through the spirited point-counterpoint debating. Isn't that true? But what do our, what do our quarrels produce? Okay, what do, what do they produce? They don't produce anything of value when it ends up in quarreling. That's different than teaching. And so he, here in the context, uh, Paul says there's no room for two kinds of controversy. Number one, stupid controversies. That's the word moros, okay? Uh, it's a little strong of a word, but that is where, it is at, where it's at. Ray Stedman, who used to preach down the road here uh, in one of your big churches, in his commentary says, Paul is talking about moronic controversies, foolish, trivial matters, which... Uh, even when they are settled after long and loud debate, do nothing for you. They do not advance the Christian cause in the least. Hmm? And examples of that, well, uh, Dan gave you a whole bunch the other, a couple of Sundays ago. But you know, people have very heated debates so, uh, over things like, uh, who is that final world figure going to be? What, uh, you know, what is the 666? Uh, I thought it was my first credit card I ever got back when they only had nine digits, and the middle three were 666. Ah, oh, see, it's the credit system. Um, I didn't preach a sermon about it. Uh, you know, people get into heated arguments over, was Jesus crucified on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? Okay? And churches set up their own little church denomination over issues like that. Okay? Uh, the use of instruments in the church. Hmm? Uh, secondly, we're not to argue over senseless controversies. I love how Ray Stedman defines these. This word really means unlearned, arising out of ignorance. As such, it refers to questions that are basically insoluble. We do not know enough to answer the questions that are being asked. And this even gets into doctrines, brothers and sisters. There are areas of doctrine that we cannot definitively say this is exactly what God means because God is bigger than us and there are issues in Scripture such as the Trinity <laughs> uh, and the deity of, and humanity of Christ, the hypostatic union and uh, the, the, how much sovereignty and how much free will is uh, involved in the salvation process. Don't divide over these issues. Stand on the truth that you understand. When you can't figure it out, go to your uh, church leaders and sit down with them and they'll tell in the best they have been able to understand it, this is what we believe in uh, in this local congregation. And if you can't handle what they, uh, the way they look at some of these issues, well, praise God, that's one of the reasons there's a multiplicity of congregations around. It's better to move congregation than split the one you're in. Hmm? Please do that. I like Hillview. Okay? Um, oh, phew, only three people left. Okay. 
<laughs> okay. Stedman continued to say, for example, take the, take the mode of, oops, that's a bad, bad one, baptism. You know, you, can you prove from me you have to go down into water? I believe it. I practice it. I stand on it. I don't want to attend a church that doesn't use immersion baptism. But where did they baptize 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem? Hmm. You take a trip to Jerusalem and look for a, look for a river that big. Okay? Uh, Maybe they did. I don't know. But I'm not going to argue about it. There's, so, there's lost souls out there that are more important than figuring out where they or how they baptized 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Are, are all the gifts of the Spirit active today? No, I, they aren't. Nope. I'm going to stand on cessationist position on the, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and that is gospel truth. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not saying I believe in it or against it. Just don't, don't divide a church over. One cup in the Lord's service. You know, there's churches during the pandemic where the governments insisted they use multiple cups. The congregations don't like that. They like one cup, and they're allowed to. Okay? They, they have their reasons and their verses. And now that they're out of the pandemic, uh, the churches are dividing because some in the congregations say, oh, well, I really don't see the doctrinal or scriptural basis of only having to have one cup when there's 200 people in, uh, in attendance, opposed to those that want to go back to it. Hmm? There's a country in South America where 400 assemblies are 200-200 over the issue, just at each other's throats over that issue, ruining our movement because of that issue. This falls into this category. Okay, so it does, it does happen, okay? And, of course, other more recent things uh, sometimes have divided us over it. So how to avoid, how to avoid it? Let's see if we have, this, uh, have these answers. I don't, but Scripture might. Five points. One is negative, okay? The first one is negative. We must not be quarrelsome or contentious. That's just a point. That's just what the Holy Spirit to told Paul to write down and give to us as um, basis for not getting into the category of divisiveness over my positions that are not 100% biblically clear, okay? In fact, the word here is macho mal. <laughs> it sounds awful, awful like the macho position. You know, I got the position, okay? Don't be quarrelsome. Don't be macho mal. Don't be a macho over what you think Scripture is, and, you, you, and, and most of the time, people that stand on these positions have read a book. Well, let's read the book. And if you have one of these, you can carry 100 versions with you in five languages or however many languages you know. And get this truth from the book. Okay? Okay? So this is what the, uh, uh, Paul is teaching us in this passage. Now he gives us four Positives, okay? Four positives, be kind to all. And basically, Scripture's so sim simple, isn't it? Yes, you can have disagreements. You can stand firm and not budge an inch. Just be nice. The elders here at Hillview would love that. Hmm? If we could just be nice to one another. We, we've proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, Paul said to the Thessalonians. Christ said in the Beatitudes, blessed is the peacemaker, for he shall see, or he shall be called a child of God. Number 
three, this, uh, the second um, positive, is able to teach. Wow, this is interesting, because back in the first epistle to the pastors, he says the difference, basic difference between deacons and elders is the capacity to teach. Now he's calling on all of us to, instead of arguing a point, when there's difference, make it a teaching moment. You know, moms talk about that all the time. Teaching moments for their kids. Praise God. Develop conviction in the kids so they want to do what is right, not have to do what is right because we force them to. And Christ does this when he went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and began to argue. No, to teach. They were amazed at his ability to debate. No, his teaching. And we have that perfect example. And then number uh, four, the third positive is be patient when wronged. It doesn't say if, it says when. It's going to happen. This is an internal attribute uh, in action here, and it's going to come along. Christ literally turned the other cheek and taught us to do the same. And then number five, uh, we don't have time for all of this. When gentle, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. There's that word, gentle. Don't you love it? The bond servant is to be gentle. Yes, we are to correct those who are in opposition. Yes, we are to stand up for truth. And you see a three-step process here. It's the bond servant's responsibility to initiate the correction. With gentleness, correcting. Okay? We should go out and stand for truth. Jesus said, uh, said of himself, I am gentle and lowly. But boy, he could also cast out wrongdoers from the temple. Okay? So we go ahead and we stand up for truth. Then secondly, it is God who gives the spiritual opponent the opportunity to, uh, to repent. You know? If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, uh, The term in hope that, or if perhaps God, does not imply that God hesitates to give repentance, but that human beings often refuse to accept it. Paul presented repentance as a gift given, and if you uh, give them the opportunity by taking the initiative of saying, no, that's not right, here's truth, look at it in Scripture, then they can repent of their position and come to truth. And then thirdly, it is the responsibility of the opponent to come to his senses, as it says here, and repent. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Here we see spiritual warfare. It is Satan who has blinded their minds and keeps them out of truth, having been held captive by him to do his will. And so the stance of the Christ follower moves from the argumentative and the divisive to the conciliatory, the teaching, standing for truth, reaching out to them, allowing God to do his work in their hearts through his word, and then uh, bringing the person to uh, understand scripture and repent, come to, into line with God's way of thinking and change. So let's see, what about being practical here? Hmm? If you were quarrelsome and made harsh statements during the pandemic, have you made that right with those people? 
Number two, if you were wronged recently, whether pandemic issues or family issues or you lost your job, which didn't seem to be fair, uh, how are you reacting? Resentment? Retaliation? Gossip? Or patience? Waiting, analyzing, learning to forgive wrongs. Responding with kindness. Or number three, who does this remind you of, this whole process? Not quarrelsome, kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, correcting with gentleness. That reminds me of my Lord Jesus. And I'd like to be with, like him, wouldn't you? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, and I think we could plug in here, kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, correcting with gentleness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you and be like you towards all those around me, even those that might be in opposition, and not be quarrelsome, but be kind, able to teach, patient, correcting with gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen.